All right, Revelation 1 this evening. Yeah, a little bit early, but that's all right. Revelation 1, we're going to read 1 through 3. And before I get started, though, um, this is not to guilt anybody, but who got to see the Facebook Live video last week? Who watched it? Re reason I need to know is I want to know how much to review from last week. All right, you got to watch it. Huh? Wednesday, yeah, okay. All right, let's read Revelation 1 through 3, and then I'll do some review, and uh, we'll get on with uh, our, our lesson tonight. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass, and he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant, John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Let's pray. Father, I pray, pray you'd bless our time together tonight as we study your word. Uh, I pray that you'd open our eyes to the truths uh, of the word. I pray that we would be encouraged to persevere, uh, no matter what troubles and trials and tribulations and persecution may come upon us. We praise you and we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, if you have heard any preaching or maybe done any kind of personal study in Revelation, a lot of times what's portrayed, Revelation is portrayed as a mysterious or even hard to be understood book. Um, some would only think that it could be understood by some elites in the church. Only those who would have some kind of special knowledge could understand Revelation. And the question that I keep coming back to, and, and, and me and a buddy of mine have conversations frequently about this, in, in particular as we reviewed uh, or looked at the three different ways that, that Revelation can be uh, interpreted, whether everything happened in the past up to A.D. 70 or everything is going to happen in the future, the question that we have to ask ourselves is what, what benefit, what profit is it to us, and not only us, but Christians in days gone by. Um, and if it's such a mysterious book and hard to be understood, then what benefit it is to Christians throughout all ages, right? I mean, if it's, if it's this book that just cannot be comprehended, then it can't be of any profit, right? If there's something, you know, you take, for instance, a, a novel or, or some other kind of book, if you can't comprehend what's going on in the book, then it's of no benefit. It's of no use to you. And that's, that's exactly how we should see Revelation. It, it, we, we need to look at it and say, if it was beneficial to, to, to generations past, then it has to be profitable to us because that's what the Scripture says, that all Scripture is given by inspiration and is profitable. And the very title of the book itself gives, lends itself that it's meant to be understood, right? If it's revelation, um, then it's meant to be understood by all, by all Christians, as we'll see. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ, and, and as this word we talked about is the uncovering, the unveiling of Jesus. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, the issue that we've been faced with in the past in regards to revelation is the tendency of many to over-sensationalize while misinterpreting this, this magnificent book. And it certainly um, 
could be presented that way. I mean, you, you could go to town on the dragons and, and the beasts and all these things and just let your imagination run wild. But we've got to understand that while our imaginations could run wild with that, with the type of literature that it's, that's, that it's written with, it, which would be um, known as apocalyptical literature, which it's full of symbolism and, and whatnot, um, is that in the day that it was written, those Christians would have known exactly what this was about. They would have known exactly what these things were talking about. And so as we go through, understand that it's, it, it's meant to be understood, and it's meant to be understood uh, with the message that God, through Christ and through John, is communicating to us. And that's, that was the first point that I made last week, was it's meant to be understood by God's people. Look at verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. Now, that word servant, I just had a conversation with um, Seth about this. That word servant is the word doulos or slave or bond slave. Um, it's not a word that is very popular these days, uh, but it, it is nonetheless a, a word that is, is important to, to this as we'll see. The word revelation, <clears throat> as I said, by its very nature, is something that is put on display. It's meant to be seen. It's meant to be made known. And the word revelation simply means uncovering, unveiling, or to take the lid off, as one commentator wrote. Now, the example I used last week was perfect because of what, what happened today. So last week I said, imagine a pot of gumbo. Now, if you would have been at the house today while Tiff was cooking that gumbo, you'd know exactly what I'm talking about. I come, when I come in from work this morning, I, I got off a little bit early, and I walked through the door, and a little bit of our smell is back. I could smell that she was cooking that gumbo. Now, over time, as she let it cook and begin to add chicken and then begin to add the sausage, you could smell it in a sense, but you couldn't get the full effect of the gumbo until you started eating that gumbo. Y'all understand that this evening as you, as you ate that. And so Revelation... Um, it, it is something like that, that you get a sense of it, and until you really begin to understand it, then you, you see the full sense of it. And what follows in, in the book of Revelation is the unveiling of Jesus Christ from his ascension when the church began to his second advent. And the second advent is his return, his coming back um, uh, at the end of the age. Now, the revelation could be summed up by stating this is the work of Christ in and through his church in the fallen world. That's what we need to understand about revelation. It's not some event that is just going to happen in a shortened period of time at the very end. It is things that have been taking place from the time that Jesus ascended back to heaven even to our present time right now. It's essentially a spiritual war that Satan has been waging against the church for over for over two millennia now. Um, and that's what we'll see as we begin in chapter 4, uh, or when we get to chapter 4, from that point forward, we'll see the church will face many attacks, but in the end will ultimately be, be victorious. And it's amazing. Even the Bible itself, it begins in a garden, right? In the Garden of Eden. And, and it ends in another garden, which we see is heaven. Now, 
Revelation is meant to be understood. We need to understand that. It's meant to be understood by his servants, as I showed you um, a moment ago. It's those who have been brought into a relationship with him by the proclamation of the gospel and the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. Um, the word used here is, is slave. It's a bond slave. And, and if you understand that, you know, there were slaves in those days, and, and there were a lot of them primarily because they couldn't pay their, their debts. They couldn't pay their bills. And so they were bought. Their bills were paid off, and, and they served that time um, under a master. And some of those masters were, were, were not very good masters. But nonetheless, we get the idea of the word slave. Now, Paul, Paul said, you're either a, sin to slave, a slave to sin or you're a slave to righteousness. And so there is a very real sense every human being in the world is a slave. Now, are you a slave to Christ or are you a slave to sin and a slave to Satan? The word slave simply is one who is in a permanent relationship of servitude to another. Think about that. The assurance of our salvation that if we are a slave to Christ, if we've been brought in that relationship, if we have been bought by his blood, there's permanency to that. It's not, eh, it's not a maybe so, but there's, we, we see the permanency to that. We see the assurance of that. The slave is, has his will being altogether consumed in the will of the other. In other words, if we are slaves to Christ, then our will ought to be all consumed in the will of Christ. What is his will for our life? Look, this is not a popular word today. I mean, we're, we're, we're being inundated with, with uh, uh, commercials now that, that are, 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 are basically racist um, that, are, that are coming out to, to denounce, you know, whiteness and, and all this kind of stuff. And everything is now being seen through the, the, the eyes or the lens of race, and, and it's caused great division, uh, not just in our country, but in the church. And I would even say, go so far as to say as the world. But nonetheless, as much as that word may appall some, uh, saw, uh, some of us, the reality is you're either a slave to Christ or you're a slave to sin. Now, the question you need to consider in regards to this, is your will really wrapped up and subject to the one you profess to follow? If we were to take self-examination tonight, would we say that we are truly a servant of Christ? Is our will wrapped up in doing his will, or is our will only wrapped up when it's convenient for us to do his will? See, that's the reality that we don't want to face today. We see that through, uh, we, we will see a major theme throughout Revelation uh, of, of a witness, and, and it's the witness that Jesus Christ is the preeminent witness. Um, chapter 5, verse 3, um, chapter 14, verse, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 5, verse 3 and 14, chapter 19, verse 11. You don't have to turn there, but we, when we get to that, we will see that Jesus Christ is the preeminent witness. What, what have we seen in Hebrews? That the preeminence of Christ, right? He is the preeminent most recently, the preeminent high priest, he's, he's preeminent over the angels. Uh, even though he was made to be human and die, he is still preeminent over them. He's preeminent over the prophets. Um, and, and we see the preeminence of Christ. It, it's a, it's a, a theme that you see throughout the scripture. And while Jesus is a preeminent witness, he is a preeminent model to imitate, right? That, 
that we uh, that Jesus is displayed a great testimony for us to follow. And if you think about this, his testimony was one of perseverance, one of endurance, all the way to the cross. That no matter what it was that came upon him, he had a disciple that betrayed him. He had disciples that um, denied him and Peter. But yet Jesus endured all of that. He endured the Pharisees' false accusations. He endured all these things. And yet he, he kept going to the cross. And so we see a, a, an example of perseverance to follow. And what that means for us is that as we read through Revelation, we see the attacks that come against the church. And you can look back on church history and see that there were periods of time in the church and even, even really secular world history there have been periods of time in the church where the church was greatly persecuted. And what happened? Christians, true Christians, persevered through that. Revelation is itself a testimony intended to strengthen the testimony of the readers. Understand, this is, this, it benefits us because it strengthens us as believers. But also, this revelation, this unveiling of Jesus Christ will pronounce judgment on the faithless but also blessing on the faithful, as we'll get into a little bit tonight. And then I talked about last week that it's, it's meant to be understood first, as we see here, that it's a revelation. The, word, the very word revelation gives, uh, gives itself to that. But it's also meant to be proclaimed, as we see in verse 2, who, bo- who bear record of the word of God. This is talking about John, that this revelation was passed down to John, and John wrote it, and he proclaimed it. This revelation was given to a faithful minister who was an eyewitness of the earthly ministry of John, the apostle. John the apostle was John the beloved that we read about that was one of the disciples of Christ. The disciple whom Jesus loved, he called himself in the book of John. And so he's given this revelation to make known. He proclaims it. And folks, for you and I, when we are given revelation of the scripture, when we are given understanding of the scripture, what are we to do? To keep it? To keep it hid? No, we're to make it. Uh, we're to make it known. What will follow in the vision that we will see will be judgment upon those who hate God, and, and that's that is to be understood. I mean, that's to be understood in a very real sense. We need to understand that the gospel and the word of God has a two pronged effect, and actually, it's kind of like the sun, right? You, you think about the sun for for a moment. The sun does a couple of things, does it not? We've seen it most recently melt snow. I mean, it didn't get have to get very far, very high above zero, in the, in maybe in the 30s, 20s even, it began to melt off. And it was, we see the sun, the effect, now we can see the full effect of the sun, that it has melted the snow. But the sun also does something else. You ever played with clay? You ever got some wet clay and you played with it, molded it, and you set it out in the sun, what did it do? It hardened, did it not? The gospel also hardens. It, it, it hardens those who will not hear the gospel, who will not um, respond in faith to the gospel. The word of God does the same. The word of God will it, it will bring the same thing. It will bring judgment to those who will not hear it, but it also will bring a blessing to those who will hear and obey. And this message that we are to proclaim requires great urgency, for we know not the day of the Lord when it will be. And it requires boldness as well. Well, moving on in our third point, we see 
that it is meant to give us hope. Notice verse 3. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. It's meant to give us hope. Turn to Romans chapter 8, if you would. Romans chapter 8. I want to answer the question for a moment. What is hope? We talk of an earthly hope. We... Now, I remember when I was getting interested in my wife many moons ago. And uh, I know 26 years doesn't seem many moons ago, but actually it was about 32 years ago. Um, there was this hope that she would say yes when I asked her out. But that hope wasn't the expectation that she was going to say yes. The hope was, man, what if she says no? What am I going to do then? I make myself look like a fool. Well, the hope that the Bible talks about is unlike that. Actually, the word hope means that it's the, there's the promise of something good with the expectation of receiving it. Now, what is the promise of something good? Let's look at Romans chapter 8, verse 18. I never saw this as an eschatological passage, but it, it really is. If you, it, it, you'll see what I'm talking about. Look at, at verse 18 says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be, to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. In other words, right off the bat, he's saying, hey, the things that you suffer right now, don't even, they, they pale in comparison to the glory that we will see in heaven. Verse 19, For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. Now, just real quick, what Paul's talking about here. We could sum it up, and I think it's from Romans 11, talking about the fulfillment of the Gentiles, right? The, the Gentile inclusion, when, when that has been fulfilled, when the last Gentile has come into the kingdom, that's what we're waiting on. Really and truly, we're waiting for the last, the last person to hear the gospel and believe and respond because at the la when that's done, it, there's no need to preach the gospel. So it says the creature longs for that. Hey, look what he says in verse 20. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Now, we look at the world today. We see all the things that are taking place. I mean, I mean we, we see what, what sin does to, what, what sin has done to this world. I mean, you think of cancer, Right? Sin has brought cancer into the world. Sin has brought all sorts of these other diseases. Sin has brought COVID into this world. This is a, we could say this is a result of sin. And what, he, what he's saying here, the, the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly. This emptiness because of this sin was subjected upon the world by Adam, our father. Because he and, and, and Eve sinned. Now this whole world is cursed. The ground is cursed, the, so on and so forth. Verse 21, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation, notice this, groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. The whole creation 
groans now under this bondage of sin. Verse 23, And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. What are the first fruits of the Spirit? Faith and repentance. Regeneration that we talked about on Sunday. Um, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit. In other words, waiting for the adoption to be fully realized. The redemption of our body. This is speaking of this glorified body, this final and complete redemption that we will receive. That's what we're waiting on. That's what we're talking about, hope. So what Revelation is meant to do is to give us hope while we wait for this body. To give us hope in the midst of trial. To give us hope in the midst of tribulation. To give us hope in the midst of persecution. Why? Because we know there's coming a day and a time when this stuff will cease. We know there's coming a time when Jesus will come back, when Jesus will come back to judge the world and to receive uh, those who were left, receive them up into glory. And we will all, the dead and those who are remaining, will get their glorified body. Folks, we're waiting for the full and complete deliverance from sin. While we are delivered from sin to a degree here, we are not yet fully and completely delivered from sin. Folks, there's coming a day. You know, the older I get, the more I long to be rid of this body of sin. I, I'm, I, I don't, the streets of gold do not impress me. The, the mansions, however you want to try to, try to make that appeal to me, that does not in any way, shape, or form appeal to me. The, 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 the true, the hope that we have is that we will no longer fight this body of sin. We will no longer have to deal with temptation. We will no longer have to deal with sickness. We will no longer have to deal with any of those things. And so as we work through this book, we will see God's provision, care, and protection to his bride, the church, throughout the ages as we hope and wait and long for that day. And it will encourage us to live godly lives sanctified through his word and by his spirit. And that we would remain faithful. And then lastly, this was a late add-on last week, and I even added some more to it. And this is, um, we'll try to get through this as quick as we can. It's meant to be obeyed. I want to bring your attention back to verse 3 in Revelation chapter 1. So it's meant to be understood. It's meant to be proclaimed. Um, it's meant to give us hope. And lastly, it's meant to be obeyed. Look at verse 3. Blessed is he, notice three things, he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. We see in verse 3, there's a blessing upon those who obey. I don't know that we fully understand this word blessed, right? When, when, when we, we tell people, have a blessed day, I, I think probably what we're me meaning is, is have a good day. We kind of spiritualize that a little bit or, or have a prosperous day. But the word blessed, or we're maybe even saying, I hope you're, you're happy today. But the word blessed goes beyond the bounds of happiness. See, while happiness is based on our external circumstances, which are subject to change at any moment, 
This blessedness speaks to one's satisfaction coming from God and not external circumstances. You know why Paul could say, from a Philippian jail, I've learned whatsoever state I'm in, therewith to be content. And then a few verses later said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He was a blessed man. He was a man that uh, his conditions did not determine um, his joy. This is the one who live, who is in the world yet lives independent of the world, right? I mean, our, our happiness depends to a degree on our external circumstances. So while we're in this world, you know, are we making enough money? Do we have a nice enough house? Do we have a good enough car? So on and so forth. Is my boyfriend or my girlfriend or my wife or my husband adding to my happiness? But if, if blessed is not dealing with our, happen, our external happiness or it goes beyond the bounds of happiness, then how is one blessed? How can a Christian be blessed? Well, notice the very first thing that he says. He that readeth. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but... Most of us in here, to some degree, probably have a Bible reading plan that we're reading through. And if, if, if you're like me, you're not very faithful to it, which I hope you're more faithful to, 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 reading, um, to reading the Scripture than, than, than I am, although quite a bit of my time is spent studying. This reading, maybe at first glance, would seem like it's just merely a casual reading, almost like we would read a, a novel. But what the intent behind this word read is, it's to read with the intention of understanding. Um, This reading means to know or perceive accurately. So let's go back to our first point about revelation. It's meant to be understood. What then should we do? Read the book of Revelation with the intent of knowing what, uh, what it means. Not what we're trying to force upon the text, not what someone else has tried to force upon the text, but what does it mean? And then secondly, what does it mean for us today or, or how is it applied to us today? And this word read is actually a, a present active participle, which means it's something that you continually do. Paul told Timothy, give yourself to the reading of Scripture, which was a public reading, to doctrine, to exhortation, so on and so forth. So what are we talking about here? Well, we could look at 2 Timothy 2.15 where Paul tells Timothy, study to show thyself approved unto God. You see, this reading goes beyond just simply reading three chapters a day. You read because you want to know. You read because you want to know who God is and how he has he revealed himself in the Scripture. And we get, we've got a, an example of this in Matthew chapter 12. I want you to turn there. Matthew chapter 12. We get an idea of this, this idea of knowing. Verse 1 through 8. At that time, Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn, and his disciples were in hunger and began to pluck the ears of corn to eat. Not a big deal, right? 
I'm hungry. It's Sunday. I need to get something to eat. Verse 2, but when the Pharisees saw it, and I get this idea that the Pharisees were, were probably had people following Jesus to see what portion of the ceremonial law he was going to break. They said unto him, Behold, thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do upon the Sabbath day. Notice Jesus' response. Have you not read what David did when he was in a hunger and they ate then they were with him? How he entered into the house of God and did eat the showbread which was not lawful for him to eat, neither for them which were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law how that uh, on the Sabbath days the priest is in the temple, profane the Sabbath, and are, bl- are blameless? But I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple. But if ye had known what this meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of, of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. Now he replies to the accusation of the Pharisees, and he uses two arguments from the lesser to the greater, and both focusing on himself and his own authority. In, in an hour of need, David anointed, transgressed a ceremonial law concerning the bread of the presence of the tabernacle. Now, who's familiar with the show bread? I had to do some reading on it today. Um, the significance of the show bread is... is uh, and where the, the story that Jesus is referencing is in 1 Samuel 21, where David was being pursued by Saul, um, and, and he, he, the men that were with him, he hides his men. He goes into Nob, I think was a city, where the priests dwelt, and, and asked them, hey, do you have any food? And they didn't have the food, and all they had was the showbread that sat on the table that was out before the people. <coughs> Excuse me. But it was only for the priest to, uh, to, to be able to eat that bread. And, and that is seen in Exodus 25, verse 30. And he's giving specific instructions concerning the temple. The showbread, which consisted of 12 loaves, uh, probably for the 12 tribes of Israel, could only be consumed by priests. It was set before the, lo- the Lord... And the eating of the loaves by the people, religious representatives, remind Israel of its constant dependence on God's life-giving presence. So it was set before the the people, 12 loaves representing Israel, set before the people. Only the priests could eat it, and it was was there to represent um, their consistent dependence on God's life-giving presence. And that was manifested in the Holy of Holies, and really in in the cloud of day and the pillar of fire by night. Now, the Pharisees were very quick to point to people's violation of the ceremonial law in general and specifically the Sabbath, and that's what this is about. But basically what Jesus is saying is I'm I'm greater than the Sabbath, right? And they failed to see that there was one who was greater than the Sabbath with them. Even in John 9 speaks of a man who was born blind and Jesus healed him on the Sabbath day of all days. How God forbid that you heal someone and make them whole on the Sabbath day. And the disciples asked Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents? And Jesus goes on to say that neither this man nor sinned nor his parents, but but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Now, here's the whole point of this, and I'll I'll move on, is that these, these Pharisees should have been studied in the law to the degree 
that they would have known who Jesus was because the promise of a Messiah was throughout the Old Testament. And they should have known. And what Jesus is saying, if you would have known, basically, if you would have, if you would have been able to perceive, if you would have been able to understand, you would know who I am. Folks, this is the idea behind reading back in Revelation chapter 1, is that you read with the intention of understanding. You read with the intention of comprehending. But that's only available to the people of God. It's only available to those who have the Spirit of God. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2.14 that the natural man cannot understand the things of the Spirit for they are spiritually discerned. The natural man's not going to understand these things. Now, talking about satisfaction of the blessed man. And then he goes on to say in verse 3 of Revelation 1, Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear. That's our word that, that you respond when, in obedience. It's not just the, the faculty of hearing. And keep those things. So the reading is spending time in God's word with the intention of understanding and knowing who God is. The hearing is obeying God's commands as revealed in his word. And we need to understand obedience is our best teacher. Revelation is not meant to entertain readers, but to strengthen believers' hearts. And I think that's how Revelation has been, re- been viewed for so many years, is that it's, it's entertainment for us. And the evidence of that is all the movies that's been put out. I was in Mardell yesterday, and just the, the books on prophecy was insane. And I know all of these people are not solid Bible teachers. They have their own idea of what prophecy is and have their own idea of what Revelation is. What we can be strengthened by throughout Revelation and what we will see is its rich portrayal of Christ's defeat of Satan. Don't miss the fact that this is God's world and he is sovereign over all things. Folks, God rules history and will bring it to a triumphal climax in Christ. The trials of the believers, the apparent triumph of the forces of the enemy, the eventual destruction of the latter and the victory of the church are all under the sovereign control of God. It is therefore true to say that, according to Revelation, the hand of God is directly behind the tribulation of believers as well as those of unbelievers. Now, you say, wait, wait, wait. You mean it's God that brings tribulation? Absolutely. To what degree? For for what purpose? To strengthen our faith? To even reveal the faith of the believing? For for those who profess faith in Christ, tribulation displays that faith. But it also does something else. Again, we're talking about the two-pronged effect. It reveals the faithlessness of the unbelievers. This revelation was given that we might live with our eyes fixed upon eternity, not fixed upon this temporary world. And look, here's my hope as we go through revelation is that we would be a people that our faith is strengthened by what we see in this great book. Our faith would be strengthened as we see the forces of Satan come against the church of the living God. And that our prayer is that we would remain faithful. And the way that we're going to remain faithful in this day and age is that if we give ourselves to reading with the intention of understanding, if we give ourselves to obey God's word, and if we lend ourselves to the revelation strengthening the hearts of believers.
then we can persevere to the very end. Let's pray.